I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Martin Arnold, the FT's banking editor. This week, we'll be discussing the announcement over the weekend by Deutsche Bank that it's changing chief executives. We'll also examine the new strategic plan unveiled on Tuesday by HSBC that includes 50,000 job cuts through a mix of disposals and cutbacks. Finally, we'll examine the upcoming details of the UK's Fair and Effective Markets Review. This is the attempt by regulators and the government to clean up fixed income markets. Joining me on the phone today is James Schotter, our Frankfurt correspondent, and in the studio are Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. First to Deutsche Bank, where um, Anshu Jain, one of the most prominent European investment bankers of the past decade, has uh, announced that he's stepping down as Deutsche Bank's co-chief executive at the end of the month to be replaced by John Cryan, who will also take over from the other co-chief executive, Jürgen Fitchen, after the bank's annual meeting next year. So joining me to discuss this is uh, James Schotter in Frankfurt. James, what um, what's brought this on? Well, I think the uh, pressure on Jane and Fitchin has been mounting for a while. They had a long-awaited strategy review in April, which people had been hoping would be a turning point for the bank. But in the event, investors were quite disappointed by the lack of detail that Deutsche put out on the day. And I think there were also some investors who would have liked a more radical approach than what Deutsche was taking, which was essentially to shrink their investment bank and spin off Postbank rather than think of anything more radical like, for example, spin off the entire retail business. And on top of that, Deutsche has been caught up in a whole host of legal wrangles. Most recently, they paid a 2.5 billion fine for their involvement in the LIBOR affair. And their co-chief executive, Jürgen Fitchen, is currently caught up in a fraud trial in Munich, although he's denied all the charges against him. And the shareholder discontent with this sort of situation sort of burst to the fore in the bank's AGM in May, where 39% of the shareholders present voted against the management board, which obviously ratcheted up the pressure to another level. And now, two weeks on, uh, the chief executives have departed. Having said that, it is still a slight surprise in that on the eve of the AGM, there was a management reshuffle which actually strengthened the power of Mr. Jane. So the move on Sunday still caught people by surprise. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, but I guess four out of 10 shareholders voting against you at your annual meeting and the disappointing share price performance in the past three years that the duo have been running the bank and the litany of missed targets in their strategic plan. They failed to hit their cost income target, failed to hit their return on equity target. It shouldn't be too great a surprise to anyone that um, ultimately they've decided to, to change things up. 
Well, no, as you say, I mean, clearly the performance over the last three years has been very disappointing. I think the return on equity that the bank managed in 2012 was 0.5%. In 2013, it was 2%. In 2014, it was 2.7%. And as you say, their cost-income ratio was way over their 65% target. I think it was 87% in 2014. So clearly, on several fronts, they've fallen short. I think it's more the timing, you know, after a reshuffle that clearly centered more power around Jane. It's quite a, an about face to find him leaving. But I guess they decided that once the existing management started implementing the new strategy, then it would be harder to change them. Maybe better to bring in a new guy before the implementation starts, just to give him an opportunity to take full ownership of that strategic plan. Now, shares rose yesterday in Deutsche, suggesting the market applauds the move. What's next? Is John Cryan the, the answer to return Deutsche to the promised land? Can he turn things around? Well, he certainly inherits a very big task. I mean, he has a a good reputation. He was formerly CFO of UBS in the depths of the crisis and is widely regarded to have done a very good job there in leading them back in the direction of financial health. Former colleagues say he has a very good grasp of detail and you expect him to sort of apply that to Deutsche Bank. They expect him to be much more focused and rigorous on implementation than perhaps the previous management was. Making the change now does give him perhaps some scope to shape the the new strategy. Deutsche, although they didn't put out much detail in April, said then that they would provide more detail within 90 days. And so clearly that gives him some, I don't think anyone expects him to ditch the new strategy altogether, but that does give him the scope to maybe shape the details a little bit more. So as I said, uh, probably a focus on costs. One might also expect him to bring in some of his own lieutenants, sort of people he's worked with before to help him push that through. Yeah. Okay. so some tweaking rather than some revolutions at Deutsche Bank. Thanks very much, James. Shifting now to HSBC, which perhaps could learn from the lessons from Deutsche Bank, the the dangers of not meeting your strategic targets. And HSBC has announced a pretty drastic new strategic plan to investors involving more than 50,000 job cuts through disposals and uh, restructurings. And also a big plan to reduce risk-weighted assets by some $290 billion, which is about a third of the risk-weighted assets, and trimming its branch network by about 12%. But a lot of these resources will be redeployed, HSBC says, to Asia, where it sees much stronger prospects for economic growth and for profitability. Joining us in the studio to talk about this is Emma Dunkley. Emma, why has HSBC taken such apparently dramatic action? Well, this has come on the back of mounting shareholder pressure and the fact that the share price has actually underperformed. It currently languishes at about 615p. But it also follows a sort of undershooting of the return on equity targets that were originally set out by Chief Executive Stuart Gulliver when he assumed the role in 2011. And the bank largely attributed this to an $11 billion hit from legal, regulatory and compliance costs and the uh, added requirement to hold more capital. And as a part of this, analysts are suggesting that the UK bank levy is having quite an impact on a lot of the particularly global focused banks such as HSBC. So there is some pressure suggested from the bank in its announcement that there needs to be changes perhaps in the UK tax scene. 
So you think there were some messages being sent to the UK government in what they said, particularly about uh, laying out the criteria that they're going to use for this review they're carrying out on whether to keep their headquarters in the UK, and also some of the things they said about um, setting up a so-called ring-fenced entity in the UK that they have to do under UK regulation to separate retail deposits from the rest of the bank. Exactly. So the bank said today it's undertaking a review on potential domiciles for its headquarter um, overseas, which it will consider 11 factors for this, a part of which is the um, tax environment, which analysts are now pointing to the UK's punitive tax regime as a possible incentive for actually moving abroad in this sense. Because it's fair to say that the bank levy has been raised nine times since launch in 2011. So in this sense, um, analysts are suggesting, you know, it's it's viable that large global banks who are hit arguably harder than domestic focused banks have reason for moving abroad. And another part of the announcement today, as mentioned, is that the retail bank that's being ring fenced will be moving to Birmingham and renamed, although it has not yet confirmed what the new brand for the retail bank will be. My bet is it'll be Midland Bank, which is the basis for the UK retail banking operation. They bought Midland Bank back in 1992, didn't they? So I I bet they revived that name. But uh, as you say, they said they still hadn't made up their mind yet. They still haven't made up their mind. But what is surprising uh, to some analysts is the fact that they said they hope to put more into the UK uh, ring-fenced bank, um, which suggests that ultimately they could look to sell it off or list it as a standalone entity, which perhaps uh, is a benefit to UK retail banking in terms of it could provide more competition there. Yeah, possibly. And I suppose all of this increases the pressure on George Osborne ahead of his Mansion House speech, which he's due to give on Wednesday evening, at which he will address, it's expected, some of these issues about taxation and regulation of banks in the UK with one eye on the possible departure of HSBC to perhaps more friendly shores. Now, another thing that is going to be addressed in the Mansion House speech, I think by George Osborne and Mark Carney, the Governor of the Bank of England, is the so-called Fair and Effective Markets Review. This is a set of new laws coming in that will ban manipulation of markets such as foreign exchange and create a new market standards body to oversee conduct by traders in this area. And here to tell us all about it is Caroline Binham. Now, Caroline, what's this all about? What's the Fair and Effective Markets Review and what should we expect on Wednesday from the Chancellor and the Governor of the Bank of England? As you mentioned, the Fair and Effective Markets Review, or FEMA, as its acronym is known, is going to be the showpiece of the Mansion House speeches on Wednesday evening by Osborne and Carney. It's the pinnacle of a year's work, and it's intended to put a stop to the string of city scandals that we've seen, such as LIBOR, such as Forex rigging. And uh, the bank said, you'll remember, that these were caused by more than a few rotten apples. So... The review board went away, busily thought about what they could do to make sure that such scandals never happen again. And they've come out with a suite of options. We won't know the final detail until tomorrow, 5pm. But we, the FT, have forecast and uh, others have done likewise that we'll most likely see an extension to the UK's market abuse rules. So currently, market abuse covers a gamut of things such as manipulation, insider trading, which is a criminal offence, is included within market abuse. It covers things like front running. So when a trader knows what a client order is going to be and copies that order just ahead of time to make a bit of money. All these things we think might be extended to include 
markets such as foreign exchange, which previously have been without the market abuse rules. What I would point out, though, is that a lot of this has already been set by the European Union. So the market abuse directive that was introduced last year in Europe actually already was extended to foreign exchange and fixed income and commodities markets. So actually, there are very few lacunas in the law. And cynics might also hear the slam of stable doors behind them. And there is a venerable tradition in this country of the government introducing legislation specifically to address the scandal of the day. One could think of there being now an explicit offence of libel rigging that was introduced a couple of years ago. But actually, as we've seen by the Tom Hayes trial, which is currently in train, our old existing fraud laws are perfectly adequate to at least mount a prosecution. Successful or not, obviously, is still to be determined. Yeah. These rules already exist for equity markets, for instance, but the point being that these FIC businesses, the the fixed income, currency and commodities markets, are more or less unregulated. And therefore, this is about bringing some rules to what are massive markets. I mean, these are huge parts of investment banking activity. They've shrunk a bit in recent years, but they're still incredibly important. We're talking about multi-billion dollar businesses here that are pretty much a free-for-all in terms of the way they're regulated. So this is about bringing some order and some structures that, isn't it? Well, absolutely. But certainly it is true that when the height of forex and libel rigging was going on, these were entirely unregulated markets or largely unregulated markets. That's in fact changed. And it's not necessarily up to the UK to make those rules. Those are legislations that have been passed at an EU level and at a global level. So there has already been quite a lot of regulatory tinkering around the edges. But what is true is that hopefully FEMA will stop any loophole around what's called the regulatory perimeter and essentially stop any other type of scandal occurring in the future. But to avoid regulatory arbitrage, ultimately, isn't it right that the government and the regulators in the UK are hoping that FEMA, as you call it, will become a bit of a global precedent and other international regulators and governments will follow suit and copy or come up with their own set of similar types of rules so that there's a global harmonisation around the standard that's being set in the UK? That's right. I think that's... Somewhat uh, optimistic. Absolutely. I mean, I think in order for this to have any chance of working whatsoever, the UK cannot be acting on its own. It has to be working with other major financial markets. The one advantage we have is that Mark Carney, with his other hat on, which is chairman of the Financial Stability Board, which is based in Basel, is actually in charge of that effort of coordinating international responses to FEMA. So there is some hope that there might be some sort of international coordination on this. If anyone can, Carney can. Right. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank James, Emma and Caroline for their contributions and thank you for listening. Remember you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.